It's, uh, it's always an honor when I get to stand up here and, uh, and preach from God's word. Um, warning, this might be a little long today. I apologize in advance. I've already gone downstairs to talk to Pastor Kathy to apologize to her as well. But the reason why it might be a little bit longer today is because it's a very important message when we talk about false prophecy and when we talk about uh, people's opinions over the kingdom. So I wanted to start with asking you this question. Have you ever had a moment, have you ever had a moment when you wondered if what you thought was right was actually right? Have you ever had that moment? Being married, I can tell you that there are many times when I think I'm right, only to be told by my loving, gracious wife, how wrong I actually truly am. And in those moments, I have one of two choices, right? All the men said amen. The choice that leads to sleeping outside or the choice that leads to letting me stay in her company. And thankfully, after, now I've only been married for a few years, but thankfully, even after a few years, I haven't had to put my tent-making skills to work just yet. But there's a deeper question here today that I do want to explore. And it's the question of how do you know what is actually right and wrong? How do you know if your perspective and your convictions are the right ones? So maybe you're listening to me right now and you've been wrestling with this same question. Maybe something in the world or something you've experienced lately has disrupted a belief inside of you, a fundamental core value, and it's been disrupted. Something you value and you thought was certain that you felt certain about has been disrupted, and as things are changing, you're wondering if you're still right. As we'll read today, the prophet Jeremiah was confronted with the same question, and so let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 28 and stand for the reading of God's word. Please stand with me as we read. In the fifth month of the same year, the fourth, oh, sorry, I should also just mention that there's a lot of weird names, so uh, go for it. Just loud and proud. In the fifth month of, the same, of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah before the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, amen, may the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied, by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Nevertheless, listen to what I have to say in your hearing and in the hearing of all people. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster, 
and plague against many countries and kingdoms. But the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And he said before all the people, This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. After the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place you will get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And they will serve him, and I will even give him control over the wild animals. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. And in the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. Great reading. You may be seated. Babylon was this great disruptive force that caused polarizing opinion and political allegiance in Judah during Jeremiah's lifetime. See, what was going on was that there were vassal states in the western parts of Babylon's empire that Babylon had already kind of taken over. And these states were exploring this idea of rebellion and putting pressure on Judah's king Zedekiah. There was lots of ayahs in there, but Zedekiah for support. No one knew who to trust. Tensions were high. Nations were divided. Revolt and uprising seemed imminent and making the people desperate and more desperate and more desperate for answers. See, this desperation gave rise to many self-claiming prophets like Hananiah. And Hananiah claimed that God would bless a political revolt. And he promised that Babylon would be overthrown. See, his message was very simple. If God had done it before, then God will certainly do it again. But Jeremiah claimed the very opposite. Sporting the latest farming equipment from Farming and Company or TSC or whatever store was available, uh, I'm obviously making that up, he will do it, you know, he claimed that the only way to survive the threat of Babylon was to submit to Babylon. It wasn't to revolt, it was to submit. And Babylon's takeover was orchestrated by God, and therefore, to Jeremiah, Babylon's takeover was inevitable. See, his message was that God is doing a new thing because of the sin and shallowness of the people's faith. Both sides claim that they heard from God. Both sides claim that they were prophets of Yahweh, but both had very, very different views, starkly different views. And so in the moment 
of this, Jeremiah does three very wise things to figure out who was actually right. The first thing that Jeremiah did was he affirmed what he could. See, when we find our values or our convictions, when we find them called into question, whether by people or by popular opinion, we have a choice that we can make. And we all make a choice. We can either avoid the issue altogether, we can turn off that news feed, we can act like it doesn't exist, we can insulate ourselves, we can close ourselves off from it and just close our ears and we don't want to think about it and we're just going to avoid this altogether. The second way we can do it is we can fight the issue. We can draw the line in the sand. We can stake our claim. We can enlist people to our side that think like us, that, that know our opinion or agree with our opinion. We can prove our point and seek out evidences and everything to try to prove our point, to prove that we are right. We can fight the issue. Or we can discern the issue. We can listen. We can empathize. We can humble ourselves and our own opinion in order to receive what we can affirm. We can talk it through. Because healthy dialogue actually begins when you affirm rather than argue. When Jeremiah heard Hananiah, he didn't make a list of all the reasons why Hananiah was a terrible person. He didn't try to find people who agreed with him or his point of view. He didn't try to enlist people to his side. He didn't even try to find evidence to disprove Hananiah. Instead, Jeremiah started by actually affirming what he could. And he says, he prays, may Yahweh fulfill what you just said. That is what I can agree to. May Yahweh fulfill what you just said. May all the people in exile and the furnishings of the temple return to this land. See, both Hananiah and Jeremiah wanted the same thing. They both longed for Israel to become restored once again. They both longed for their country to be what it was. They just disagreed fundamentally with what God demanded in order for this to happen. See, God has already talked to Jeremiah about this. In Jeremiah 25, verses 4 to 5, uh, it, it says this, it says, And though the Lord has sent all his servants, this is Jeremiah speaking to uh, false prophets. He says, And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave you and your ancestors forever and ever. But verse 7 says, but you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. See, Jeremiah knew that a restored Israel wouldn't actually happen with just a wish and a prayer. It wouldn't. God demanded a changing of the people's heart. He demanded repentance and loyalty. And God was going to bring whatever disruption was necessary in order to draw his people back to him. See, the problem was Hananiah's discernment, not his desire. You know, Jeremiah's main underlying criticism to all of Hananiah's prophecy was that it was his prayer life. Jeremiah had already made the suggestion a chapter back 
But just just before this uh, this moment, he actually makes this suggestion in verse in chapter twenty seven, verse eighteen. He says, "If they are prophets, and have the word of the Lord, let them plead with the Lord Almighty." Let them intercede, let them pray with the Lord Almighty that the articles remaining in the house of the Lord and in the palace of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem not be taken to Babylon. But in Jeremiah's view, and we know from hindsight, this was not happening. The prophets were not interceding for Israel. They weren't listening to God. In John, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd several times. I encourage you to read the chapter for the sake of time. I'm not going to read the chapter. But he is speaking to the closeness that we should have in relationship to Jesus, in relationship to the Father, in relationship to him. In John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Let me ask you this morning, do you know the voice of the shepherd? Do you know his voice? Do you know what he is actually saying? Because if we don't have a deep and vibrant prayer and devotional life, then we actually don't know the voice of the shepherd. We might hear whispers, we might have glimpses, but we don't know the voice of the shepherd. And in this parable that Jesus is using as a good shepherd, if we don't know the voice of the shepherd, we actually run the risk of becoming one of the other characters in this parable. We actually run the risk of becoming a wolf, a stranger, or a robber to God. So as Christians, we need to discern what positions are actually the kingdoms and what are just opinion. We need to discern that because I don't know about you, but I don't want God to see me as a robber or a wolf or a stranger. I want to know the voice of the shepherd. And the way we do that is by analyzing the track record. If I said to you, God told me last night in a dream that to the Toronto Maple Leafs were going to win the Stanley Cup, and they were going to usher in a new restored era of hockey pride for our nation and our province and the GTA, would you believe me? I mean, I already got a few laughs. See, you might be hesitating because, well, I'm the youth pastor, and typically youth pastors aren't actually taken that seriously to begin with. I mean, it could be that I'm just not a sports analyst and I don't know what I'm talking about. It could be because you've never really seen me post anything or talk too much about the Toronto Maple Leafs. It could be that you're just cheering for a different team and you're, you know, praying against me on this. Or it might just be because the Leafs have been losers even after 50 seasons. I don't know what they're going to do when they get to 60. Like, they might have to change their name to less or something. But regardless of why you doubt my prophetic ability on this, it should actually just cause you to pause and analyze the track record of the Leafs, to analyze my own track record, to see if I'm actually on to something or not. But we don't always do this with everything, because in the midst of fear, we choose what we want to hear. 
And when it came to Hananiah's prophecy, it was clear to Jeremiah that the people were validating Jeremiah, sorry, that the people were validating Hananiah based on their comfort instead of his credentials. The majority of prophets who had come before who were who had been proven to have been true in their message all preached the same thing. They all preached war, famine, and plague. And these were means for God to get his people to repent and return to them. But Hananiah's message didn't include any of this. It didn't include a message of repentance, it, and it included a message of prosperity. Secondly, the prophets were found to be truthful only after predictions had come to pass. So under Hananiah's prophecy of two years, a lot more had to happen uh, that was seemingly not happening in the province of Judah. No one was repenting. Kings were not submitting. Priests were still corrupt and sacrificing to idols. And the people were not listening. And then third, Hananiah was inconsistent in his message. I don't know if you caught this as we were reading, but after Jeremiah responds to Hananiah, Hananiah doubles down on his prophecy, and his prophecy grows to include not only Judah, but all nations under Babylon. So not only did Judah have to uh, revolt and, and become victorious, but all nations under Babylon would now. See, as the crowds grew, so did Hananiah's prophecy. Hananiah took the validation of the crowd as God's validation of his call. See, a prophet's job was to first listen to the word for the word of the Lord, to intercede and listen for the word of the Lord, and then tell the word to the people. The job description is actually in Deuteronomy 18, 18. It says, I will raise up for them, this is God's words, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. See, the problem was Hananiah was falling victim to the cultural pressures of his day. He pointed to the crowds as validation, and he became disoriented to the voice of God. And after the aggressive display of breaking this yoke from Jeremiah, it was clear that nothing more could be said. Jeremiah had reached an impasse. And when we reach an impasse and we just aren't sure, or we reach an impasse and no one is listening to us anymore, then we can do what Jeremiah does. And the third thing that Jeremiah does is he allows for time. See, when we reach an impasse, we can take the path of Hananiah, who in the heat of the argument, in the heat of the moment, breaks the yoke and makes brash claims, or we can take the path of Jeremiah, who refused to give in to the emotion and instead waited for God's answer. And Jeremiah went on his way. I would love to, like, have actually been a fly on the wall for this because, like, you know, well, you, you know, I'm thinking it with Jeremiah in, in his mind, like, well, obviously we're at a crossroads, so I'll just see ya, and just like walks away, and like, if you have ever been in a moment where you're arguing, and one person just walks away, what do you do? Don't walk away from me when I'm yelling at you and trying to prove my, right? I mean, that's what I do, just being honest. 
But here's the thing. You don't have to respond to everything immediately. You don't have to respond to everything immediately. It actually takes wisdom from the Holy Spirit to know what you should and shouldn't take on. To know where and when God is leading you. And to then set mental and physical and emotional and spiritual boundaries on what is and isn't your responsibility based on the voice of God. But see, all of this comes from knowing the voice of the shepherd. All of this comes when we pray and read our Bible. And if we aren't doing these basic things, then we do not know. We don't know. And here's the challenge that we all face right now, is that we're deeply impatient, like just generally in our culture, we're just deeply impatient people, and we are hyper-informed. And in a world that is becoming more polarized and more politicized, there is a temptation to actually respond to every issue and every mouthpiece in the moment, because that is what is expected in our world. Instead of waiting and seeking God's voice, for confirmation before we speak. It's the same way for Israel, because in Deuteronomy 18.22, two verses after the job description of being a prophet, God actually gives clarity to the Israelites on what to do when there's two prophets that are prophesying two different things. And this is what God says. It says, if a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord... If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. Seems pretty simple. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. It seems so simple, right? But it's so hard for us. In other words, God is saying, hear the message. Hear the message. And test it against time. See, Jeremiah didn't give in to the temptation to have the last word. He actually let God do it for him. And shortly after, Jeremiah was given his answer and direction by God. He was given direction by God for Hananiah, and he was given direction from God for Judah. And I know we read it, but we're, I'm going to read it again to you just so we catch it. In Jeremiah 28, verses 16 to 18. Jeremiah gets his answers. And the Lord comes to him and he says, Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place you will get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all these nations to make them, to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And they will serve him. And I will even give him control over the wild animals. But then that's not it, unfortunately, for Hananiah. Because then Hananiah gets a specific prophecy from Jeremiah. It says, then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year, you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. Jeremiah's words were very clear. 
if the people wanted to judge who was right, all they needed to do was wait and allow for time to tell. And sadly, two months later, Hananiah dies. We're not sure what happened to Hananiah, but Hananiah dies. And the tragedy is that Hananiah was actually so misaligned with God's voice is that the very moment that Hananiah saw as triumph with breaking the yoke, proving his point, showing the crowd that he had authority and that he, right, that he was the one, that he was the right prophet, the very moment that he saw as triumph was the very moment of his downfall. And so my question to you today, as we get ready to kind of conclude and close, is this. What are you attached to? What are you attached to? Now, I have a wooden plank, which is also called a yoke here. And you know me, I'm, I'm a guy who likes visual, and I love Jeremiah because he's a prophet of visual examples. Um, but this is a yoke. And uh, now this one would attach to horses because I couldn't find one for oxen. But this is, this is something that would attach. And so a horse would, has like a leather, a leather halter, and then it attaches to here, and then another horse attaches to the other side. And, uh, and what a yoke would do is that it would attach two horses, and then it would be attached to the farmer who would lead. And we're not entirely sure what exactly Jeremiah was wearing, whether he was wearing this whole contraption, whether he was wearing just a rope or the halter, or if he was wearing an oxen or a donkey yoke. We're not entirely sure. But we do know why. See, a yoke was a common symbol for yielding yourself to another. And this attaches to two horses together, and then it's directed by the farmer. And typically, one ox or one horse or one animal would know the field a bit more than the other and would lead the other that was attached to it. See, the problem for Hananiah and for Israel was that they weren't attached to the one thing that mattered in the end. So the great lie was that they thought they were the ones that were in control. They thought they were the ones that were leading the charge. They thought they were the ones that were that were leading the way, and yet they thought they were directing where they were going, but in reality, they were actually the ones that were being controlled. They were actually the ones that were being pulled from side to side, that were being drifted away from the voice of God, from what God had originally intended, and they were being drifted, they were drifting, and they were being controlled by the very thing they thought they were controlling. And so this is the question, what are you attached to? The people of Israel refused to disconnect from the things that were harming their life. They became very misaligned and disoriented to the things that God cared about deeply. And as a result, their yoke became an unbreakable burden that God had never, ever intended for them to have. See, some of you today think that you have things under control. You're attached to things, but you think you have things under control. But in reality, you're actually just being pulled all over the place. 
You're being tossed by the latest news headline, or you're being tossed by the latest problem in our world, or you're being tossed, or you're being pulled, or you're being yanked, and you're fighting against it, and you're becoming more and more disoriented to the voice of God. For others, you've actually been attached to something for a very long time. Maybe you're sitting in a habit or a way of life that you've fallen into, and you actually are like, no, I'm good. I feel good about this. Like, like this is way better than what it used to be. It's way easier. It's way more comfortable. Yeah, it's like, it's not perfect. It's okay, but it's comfortable. And you're letting your comfort drive you forward. And you think that you have it under control. You think that it's better, but in reality, you're just slowly drifting. You're just slowly drifting. You're drifting away from the faith that you once had. You're drifting away from the voice of God. And you're finding yourself more and more disoriented. For you, maybe it's a slower process. But more questions are coming up into your, your, in your mind, in your life. And you're wondering what the answers are. And then for some of you, you just literally have attachment issues. Um, you're so worried about attaching yourself to anything that it's left you feeling isolated and alone and empty. You have attachment issues. You don't want to submit. You don't want to submit to the things of God. You don't want to submit to whatever. You just want to drive it yourself. But if any of this is you today, I want to challenge you this morning to tie yourself to the things of God, to tie yourself to the only things that matter, to the only things that truly matter, to tie yourself to Jesus and untie yourself to the things that have been weighing you down, to the things that have been driving you forward, the things that have been yanking you from side to side. Tie yourself to Jesus because he says, in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, he says, come to me. He invites us. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. See, because of Jesus, we are invited to attach ourselves to a better way. It's a way of gentleness, of peace, of rest for our souls. And if you're looking for rest for your soul today, all you need to do is untie yourself from the things that are pulling you forward and the things that are making you drift and become disoriented from God's voice and, tie, and retie yourself to God's voice, to God's wisdom, to Jesus because the great news is that today you have the opportunity to do this and let God realign you to the good things that he has for you. You don't have to take on the yoke of iron, the yoke of steel, the, the yoke of wood. You don't have to take on the things that God never intended you to take on. See, the incredible thing about Jeremiah's faithfulness is that he had to endure a very heavy opposition for most, if not all, of his life. And he really didn't see much success. Not in our eyes. He didn't see the crowds. He didn't see, he was just faithful. And only nearing the end of his life was he actually even proved right. And even then, his words weren't actually widely 
accepted during his lifetime. Could you imagine? Yet in the midst of all the pressure and all the rejection, that Jeremiah remained tied to God. And I believe that the reason that Jeremiah was able to do this was because he was tied to the right thing. His yoke was connected to the right source, a source of rest that never runs out. Guys, he is more than enough. When we tie ourselves to the God of the universe, he is more than enough. He is a God of healing. And we received a word today that there is healing in this building, that, that someone today is being healed, whether you're listening to me online or you're online or you're in the building. There is healing because he is more than enough. And when we tie ourselves to God, there's healing that happens. There are miracles that happen. There is a greater conviction and a deeper peace that never is quenched, that cannot be quenched. So when we listen to God, not just hear Him, but when we listen to Him, we tie ourselves to God's direction and wisdom. We lighten our yoke. We stay oriented on the things that truly, truly matter. And we gain a peace that never runs dry. Because here's the thing, God will have the last word in your life. And He will either vindicate you or he will humble you. And that's the truth. He will either vindicate you or humble you in some way. So we don't have to worry about arguing our points. We don't have to worry about trying to prove that we are right. All we have to do is tie ourselves to the holy God of the universe, tie ourselves to Jesus, our Savior, and let him vindicate us, not the, not the world, not our crowds, not the people that are around us. Let him vindicate us and let him humble us if we need it. So as we close today, I just want to encourage you. Usually I have a nice big practical response and stuff, but I really felt in my soul this week that I don't really need to do too much. I believe that the Holy Spirit is here. I believe that the Holy Spirit has been impressing on your heart something, something as I've been speaking or something in the service. Maybe it's a name or it's a situation that you keep on referring back to in your mind and you're wondering, why am I thinking about this? Can I just say that that is the Holy Spirit's prompting? That is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And I just want to encourage you to be brave and to be obedient to that, whatever that is. Do what the Lord is directing you to do, whatever that might be. So our world doesn't need more opinions or arguments. It doesn't. Our world needs the transformative work of the Spirit. In that, for some reason, God chooses to use us as broken individuals to bring about that transformation, to, to, to be beacons of his hope and of his love. And so I just encourage you, share who God is, not what he's about, but share who God is through your life and your words and trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. 
tie yourselves to the transformative and see what God does in and through you. Let's pray.